All right, we're going to be in Psalm 145. 145. If you could, there are some people still looking for seats. If you've got any space now that the kids are making their way out, if you want to scoot in a little bit, and uh, we can start finding a place. This summer, we have been looking at uh, different psalms and how they instruct us and encourage us to live our lives fully before the Lord. Last week, Colin Hansen uh, led us as we looked at Psalm 113, a, a psalm of worship and praise to God. And Colin helped us to consider three reasons why we don't offer praise to our Lord. And today, we turn our attention to another psalm of praise and worship. And as we do that, uh, I want us to approach this psalm with a willingness. uh, A willingness to be confronted, even overwhelmed by the words of David. Because Psalm 145 In in Psalm 145, David is not simply after your agreement or your approval. He's not looking for you to co-sign on his sweet words about Yahweh. He's not merely looking for you to like it. He's calling you to remember the reason you are alive today. And in Psalm 145, David relishes in, he submerges himself into the true meaning of his life. Because the founder of King David's faith declared in Psalm 145, the perfecter of the faith of King David is Jesus the Christ. So let's listen carefully with hearts and minds ready to hear from our God and King. For this is his word. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will bless your name forever and ever. On every day, I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and concerning his greatness, which is unsearchable. Generation to generation will praise your works. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty while I meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works while I proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate the memory of your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in royal love. The Lord is good to all and his compassion is upon all his works. All your works will praise you, O Lord, Those who receive your love will bless you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might to make known to the sons of man his mighty works and the glorious splendor of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bent down. 
The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food, and it's due time. You open your hand, and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears the cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, you have shown us your greatness, your graciousness, your love in Jesus, your Son, our Lord. So fill our hearts today. So awaken our minds that we may look upon our Savior and know that our sins are forgiven. Know that our righteousness has been won. Know that our future is secure to worship you, Father, Son, and Spirit, forever and ever. So Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. Amen. In one of his books on the peculiar complexities of the mind, Oliver Sacks tells a story about a British man named Clive Weering. Clive became very sick in 1985, and as a result of this illness, he lost all short-term memory. Since that time, Clive has gotten over this illness, but he has lost the great many of his memories. And one of the most severe lingering consequences is that Clive cannot store new experiences into memory. Clive's condition has been called the worst case of amnesia ever recorded. And altogether, he has about a 20-second memory. Sometimes less, sometimes a little bit more. 30 seconds is kind of topping out. Clive had gotten married three months before he became ill. And in, in an interview with the BBC, his wife, Deborah, said this, You can ask Clive a question, and while he is answering you, he will forget the question. Deborah writes about her journey with her husband in a book called Forever Today. She says this, His ability to perceive what he saw and heard was unimpaired, but he did not seem to be able to retain any impression of anything for more than a blink. Indeed, if he did blink, his eyelids parted to reveal a new scene. The view before the blink was utterly forgotten. Each blink, each glance away and back brought him an entirely new view. End quote. The amnesia that Clive experienced and experiences still to this day is one of deep and profound forgetfulness. The great 20th century pastor and theologian 
A.W. Tozer, wrote in 1960 about what he called a spiritual amnesia. And he said this, one of the greatest tragedies that we find, even in the most enlightened of all ages, is the utter failure of millions of men and women ever to discover why they were born. Deny it if you will, and some persons will, but wherever there are humans in this world, there are people who are suffering from a hopeless and depressing kind of amnesia. It forces them to cry out, either silently, within themselves, or often with audible frustration. I don't even know why I was born. We have a strange spiritual amnesia and cannot remember who we are or why we are here. And we look around for some explanation for our existence. End quote. Like Clive, we can get 20 seconds into prayer, 20 seconds into scripture, 20 seconds into a song, 20 seconds into a sermon, and forget what it is that we're doing. We go through the motions, paying no real attention to what is going on. We can participate in these actions of worship, but not worship anything or anyone. There's no heart, no love, no remembering. We blink, we close our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and we don't remember anymore. Psalm 145 is the last psalm in the Psalter attributed to King David. 74 out of 150 are attributed to David. And this last psalm helps us in a very real sense come out of the forgetfulness of spiritual amnesia and remember why it is that we were made, why we were born and why we are reborn. The words of David in Psalm 145 speak to the torrent of distracted forgetfulness that seems to come in every direction of our lives. And these words call us out of forgetfulness and into remembrance of the very reason for our being. Like I said, David's not after your approval or agreement He's he's saying that these words aren't just right, they're real. The psalm was written as an acrostic poem using the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And it can be helpful to break this psalm down into six different parts. I think it's like that in your worship guide. As David is both crying out in worship to God and calling us into worship calling us out of our forgetfulness and into a joyful remembrance of who God is and why we are here. So let's look look carefully at each of these movements, these six parts of the poem, and hear what David has to remind us, both about God and about ourselves. So part one, verses one to three. I will exalt you, my God, the King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. On every day, I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and concerning his greatness, which is 
unsearchable. Here, David is issuing a call, a call to praise God. He's declaring his desire and his intentions personally to praise the Lord. And David here is emphasizing the eternality of worshiping Yahweh, the foreverness of worshiping God. See, the call here is not a call to some religious duty where you just do the necessary actions of required honor and then go about your business. God is not to be approached as some mere obligation of religious service. You don't get any credits for coming to church today. Worshiping God is not a box to check off in hopes of a better week. David says, I will bless your name forever. Every day, I will bless you. This is a call to continuous, wholehearted praise. Because of verse 3, the Lord, Yahweh, is great. He is greatly deserving of great praise. If the greatness of Yahweh is unending, as David says here, if his greatness is unending and unsearchable, means that we cannot find the end of it, then it follows that his worship should be the same. If he is eternally great, then our worship should be eternal. God cannot be offered token praises because he is not a token God. And he can't be offered negligible praise for a negligible amount of time in your week because God's greatness is not negligible. God cannot be offered half-hearted praise because his greatness is not half-hearted. The greatness of God and the greatness of the worship of God are connected in tandem. If God's greatness has no end, neither shall his worship. If you struggle to find the desire to praise the Lord greatly, as David is talking about here, with all that you are, then I would encourage you to consider if you think God is great. In a book about recapturing this sense of God's greatness, Paul Tripp writes this. When you read the words, God is good, your heart should be filled with wonder, amazement, gratitude, humility, love. Or to capture what our response should be in one word, awe. Now this is where the problem lies. I am convinced that many of us live day after day without any awe whatsoever. We live days, maybe even weeks, without wonder and amazement. We walk through the situations and locations of our daily lives without any overwhelming sense of gratitude. We don't notice the glory displayed that is all around us, that points us to the one glory that is truly glorious, the glory of God. No, we look around and we see a busy schedule, dirty dishes, Bills that need to be paid. Children who are fighting once again. 
a mean neighbor, a hard boss, too much traffic, laundry that is piling up, a car that needs to be repaired, a movie we want to see, a vacation that is coming up, a relative that is mad once again, a championship season, the problems at church, the weight we didn't mean to gain, and the dreams that are slipping through our fingers. For sinners, the road between awe and complaining is very short. You and I were created to live our lives in the shadow of awe. Every word we speak, every action we take, every decision we make, every desire we entertain was meant to be colored by awe. We were meant to live with eyes gazing upward and outward. We were meant to live with hearts that are searching and hungry to be satisfied. Bad things happen when human beings lose their sense of awe. Bad things happen when we have no wonder inside of us. Bad things happen when we are no longer amazed. Bad things happen when we look around and nothing impresses us anymore. End quote. I don't know about you, uh, but I didn't fare too well on his long list of distractions. I think I was 14 for 16. The things competing for your attention and awe are overwhelming. And I have to admit, now is a good time as any, that my lack of awe is not simply a result of other people or other problems or my environment. The greatest inhibitor to my awe of God's greatness is me. It's my sin. It's my willful neglect. It's my pride. It's my self-centeredness. It's me. And I have to have God's grace to behold his greatness. I need his grace to carry me away from myself and into the splendor of his glory. The biggest and most influential inhibitor to me seeing and delighting in the greatness of God is not my circumstance or my context or my neighbor. It's me. To praise God greatly with our lives We have to recover this sense of his greatness. But how? Part two, verses four through seven. Generation to generation will praise your works. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, while I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works while I proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate the memory of your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. This is how we recapture this sense of his greatness. We have here one of the clearest depictions in the Bible, the chief work of worship by the people of God. David tells us of the responsibility of the people of God to declare to every generation the greatness of God. David calls on every person, every person of the people of God to declare, to proclaim the work and wonder of God. We have a beautiful example of this in the New Testament played out in the life of Timothy As you might recall, the Apostle Paul left Timothy, a young minister in the faith, 
in the city of Ephesus. And one of his main tasks in Ephesus was to deal with the false teachers that were wrecking havoc in the community. And Paul writes Timothy letters of further instruction and desperately needed encouragement for the work ahead. And in 2 Timothy, Paul writes these words of encouragement to his friend to continue in what he has learned and what he firmly believes. And Paul references the teachers from whom Timothy learned these things because he had learned these things since childhood. The teachers whom the Apostle Paul is talking about, it's Timothy's mother and Timothy's grandmother. See, Timothy's mother and grandmother had faith in the risen Jesus, and God had entrusted them to instruct Timothy in his mighty acts, his wonderful works, his great deeds. Paul writes this to him in 2 Timothy. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now it surely dwells in you. He later says, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, here, Paul highlights for Timothy the roots of his faith, what he firmly believes, because he was trained up from a child by his mother and his grandmother, who told him the great acts of God. This is the work of telling the mighty acts of God from generation to generation. And it is a vital aspect of worship. Worship is telling and celebrating the story. And telling the story, the great story of creation, fall, redemption, recreation. The great story of Yahweh's mighty acts, his wonderful works. This is worship. And it causes worship. In us, it causes us to grow in our awe of God. Worship is many things, but it is never less than telling one another the greatness of God. That's worship. When we sing it and declare it, when we shout it, when we pray it, when we read it, when we meditate upon it, that's worship. Are you so awed? by the person and work of God that you long to share it? Are you so captivated by the splendor of God's majesty that you long to sing of it? And I'll say this very practically. If you're wanting to grow in your sense and understanding of the greatness of God, volunteer in the kids' ministry. Teach a class with other members of this church. Tell the story of the greatness of God and grow in it yourself. Declare what he has done. Tell the next generation about the great acts of our gracious God. You will grow in your view of his greatness. And when you grow in your view of his greatness, you will grow in praising him greatly.
Tell of his greatness. See him as great. Worship him greatly. Part three, and here we pick up the pace. All right. Verse eight. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in loyal love. The Lord is good to all and has compassion on all his works. See, the Psalms not only teach us about ourselves and lead us to this honest reflection about the anatomy of our own souls as we have looked at this summer, they also teach us about who God is. They give us statements about his character. And David says Yahweh is gracious and compassionate. And remember, David himself, as we looked at earlier this summer, has experienced the grace and compassion of the Lord because he was broken by the Lord and before the Lord in his great sin. And he himself knows the grace and compassion of the Lord. And he says that all of the work of God, all of creation, all of humanity experiences this great kindness of God this common grace that is extended of life. And the Lord has compassion on all his works because he has created all things. He has willed all of these things into existence so he loves all that exists. And if that's true, if you and I are creatures who were created by a creator, who shows compassion, who shows kindness to us, even when we uh, rebel against him, that he he is steadfast and he is slow to anger. If that's true, then we are set up to respond to that. Not to just agree with the rightness of that, but to live into the realness of that. Every day, as David says. So part four, response. Verse 10, all your works will praise the... We will praise you, O Lord. So all your works, meaning creation, will praise you, O Lord. Those who receive your love will bless you. They will tell of your, the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might to make known to the sons of man his mighty works, the glorious splendor of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. David says that all the works, all of creation, and namely humanity, will praise the Lord. Just as Colin preached last week, all of creation, all of humanity, will bow before their Lord and Creator because God is King. That's how this psalm begins, is is calling out that Yahweh, his God, is King. This is King David pointing to his true king. And David distinguishes from all of God's works, those who will receive the love of the Lord will bless the Lord. And again, David goes on to emphasize the work of the people of God to tell the story generation to generation, to tell of the glory of God's kingdom and his strength, that the sons of man would know the mighty work, the glorious splendor of God's kingdom. And again, David brings up eternity. He brings up the generations. And the reality of eternity, catch this, because this this is important. I think that the the history of the church shows us that we we don't do a good job remembering this. We we, we kind of end up in, in one of two bad places. 
But the reality of eternity should not cause us to dismiss the pains and sorrows and struggles of today. But it must impact how we respond to our pain and our sorrow and our struggles. Our view and belief and understanding of eternity guides our hope. His greatness has no end. His worship has no end. His kingdom has no end. We cannot forget this. We must remember. We must tell of the glory, speak of the might. We must make known the splendor of his kingdom because that is what we were created to do, created to worship. Because all the deepest questions that we can ask and must ask about purpose and meaning, the questions about why something instead of nothing, why existence, how significance works in the world around us, these tenuous questions find their resolve in the worship of God the King. This is what Tozer was talking about. That spiritual amnesia where we walk around and we don't even know why we're here. And we might not say it with those words, but we'll live it in our actions and in our inactions. This is why you were created. This is why you are being redeemed. This is why he is making all things new. It's for worship. The trajectory of all history and all creation is bending to bow before God the King. Every knee shall bow. His greatness has no end. His worship has no end. And his kingdom has no end. Part 5, 14 through 20. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bent down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in its due time. You open your hand. You satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry. He saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. This is what the Lord does. He's faithful, loving, upholding, lifting up, giving, satisfying. He is near. He's fulfilling. He's listening. He's watching. The Lord is present with his people. We are the works of his hands. We are the ones who are desperate for his continued work in our lives. And it is Jesus who does this. It is Jesus who declares to us, from the cross, from the empty tomb, from the ascension to the right hand of God the Father. He is the one who is faithful and loving. He is the one who is upholding us. He's the one who is lifting us up. He's the one who is giving and satisfying. He is the one who is near. He is the one who is fulfilling and listening to us now. He is the one. This is how we know God loves us. Because of Christ on the cross. He is the one that when we get to verse 20, and it says, but all the wicked he will destroy, and it should cause that pain in your heart, it's because of Jesus that that's not you and me. And that's our only hope. 
That's our only hope that all these other things, before that last line in 20, that all these other things are for us, that he is faithful to his promises, that he's loving towards all that he has made. He satisfies us and he fulfills the deepest longing in our souls. It is Jesus alone. This kingdom that he keeps talking about, it's this kingdom that David keeps talking about. We have no right to be there save for the work of Jesus. Paul tells the Colossians that we are qualified for the kingdom. We are qualified for this eternal kingdom because of the blood of Jesus. That is the only way we enter this eternal, glorious kingdom. And if all of this is true, if all of this is true that David has been saying, that it's not only right, but it's also real for us, David says, then I have no choice than to worship. Last part, part six. Verse 21. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. I will praise him, David says, and all flesh will praise him in light of all that I have confessed. In light of all that I have declared and celebrated, David says, in all that I've called you to remember, after, after all of that, all you can do is praise him. David knows that he must keep telling the story. He must keep singing the praise. He will not let himself forget the greatness of God. He lets each note of praise lead him to the next note of praise. Before he got sick, Clive Wearing was an orchestra and choir conductor. Before his brain was ravaged by the disease, he conducted symphonies. And after this disease struck him, he had forgotten nearly everything. He, he didn't recognize faces. Uh, He could go into a restaurant and order food, and he wouldn't remember walking into the restaurant, and he wouldn't remember what food tasted like. But if you sat him down in front of a piano, he could play lengthy classical pieces. He could play because each note would lead to the next note. And even though 20 seconds after playing this lengthy classical piece, he wouldn't remember how he got in front of a piano, He could play. Each note would lead to the next note. We have to remember why we were made. We have to remember what we were made to do. We must remember the greatness of God. Because when we tell the story note for note, one note leading to the next, we remember. When we sing the story, each line taking us further on, when we declare the glorious splendor of God's greatness, we remember as each note leads us to the next. Because every moment of eternity will be one note of worship to the next. Let's pray. Oh God, we ask that in this time you would stir in our hearts by the Holy Spirit 
to see and savor your greatness. God, help us, for we are a forgetful people. Help us to know what it means to worship you in spirit and in truth. May we look to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As the band starts to make their way up here, uh, we we plan the service as we begin in celebration with the baptisms, um, as we open God's word together, and now as we respond in song to sing to the Lord. And as as they're making their way, I'd like to kind of close this time off actually with with a poem from Emily Dickinson. Emily Dickinson was a a 19th century poet, and she has a, a, a poem called Forever is Composed of Nows. And so as we, uh, as we ready our hearts to sing, uh, let me read this to you. Forever is composed of nows. It is not a different time except for infiniteness and latitude of home. From this, experienced here, remove the dates to these. Let months dissolve in further months and years Exhale in years. Without debate or pause or celebrated days, no different our years would be from Anno Dominis. Eternal worship is not simply one glad morning when this life is over. Eternal worship is not when we reach that distant shore. Eternal worship That forever worship is composed of now. Now we begin the eternal praise of our God the King. Now we worship him in the splendor of his glory. Now we worship him in spirit and in truth. Let us worship Christ our God and King now and forever and ever. Let's sing.